Welcome back to Trashy Divorces. I'm Stacy. Hi, friends. I'm Alicia. Welcome back, everybody. Alicia, can they take that away from you? They can never take that away from me. This song, this so episode. They can't take that away from you? Is that what you're saying? That is what I'm saying. This standard classic from 1937 is by the Gershwin Brothers. What George. is it? With the music, Ira bring in the lyrics, introduced in a little film called Shall We Dance? Starring a dude you may have heard of. <sighs> Never His name heard is of Fred Astaire. Never heard of Fred Astaire. Who is that? So our boy Frank covered that. Uh, and Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong. This is a standard. It is a I, lovely it's so good. It's a classic. song. It's yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just like our trashy divorces profiles this week, classics too. You're bringing us the trashy. Yeah, divorce this, of this week is host choice. It is host choice. I have had a long-standing fascination with the tragic life of Anna Nicole Smith, which I think would surprise people to know. But there it is, and so I covered her. It was a good story. And you, yours also. This went is to, what I've wanted to do for a long time. Yours like dropped some happy bombs, like oh, this is going to be a really cool, good, st-. and then it went tragic. I mean, it's it's a tragic story, but I concentrated on the happy part of it. You did. With the trashy divorce of Natalie Wood and Robert Wagner. Or as we say, Bobby Wags. <laughs> it was a good story. Hey, y'all, if you find you have a little bit of spare time this week, we have some ideas for you. If you have 10 seconds. About that, about 10 seconds, yeah. Um, if you go to TrashyDivorces.com, on the menu at the top of the page, there is a link called Survey that will take you to a survey that makes us more appealing to advertisers and we hate to ask but there it is if y'all have 10 seconds to do that we would really appreciate it we are indie podcasters trying to make this thing work and i don't know advertisers need data or something (sighs) if you have more than 10 seconds and you need to fill a little bit of time in your day we have taken a bunch of stuff out of the vault we have from patreon patreon and put it up just free, just sitting there free, like a field full of Texas blue bonnets. Yep. How do people get to that? It's uh, We have a short link at bit.ly bit.ly slash trash candy quarantine. And there will be a link in your show notes. So you just click that and it'll take you right to uh, do a bunch of free stuff. For so, sure. So several hours. We're going to we're going to refresh that each week with new content. It. So probably hey, Taco Tuesday. So if Taco it's Tuesday. Sunday when you're listening Listen to what's up now. We're going to give it a refresh probably Tuesday of this week and pull some more stuff out of the vault. Yeah, we're just trying to keep everybody with some stuff to to do while they're sitting around waiting to see what happens to the world. So After you've done all that, and if you're a Patreon person, <laughs> our awesome people, they we did a crap ton of brand new content this week on Patreon. Fun with Dunn is yeah. back. Fun with Dunn. You have resurrected Fun with Dunn, much to the delight of many. Fun with Dunn was back this week, uh, St. Patrick's Day, it turns out, with the story of I Feel Lucky Lucan. And we talked about the mysterious disappearance of Lord Lucan and the tragic murder of Lord Lucan's nanny, Sandra Rivet. Our Trashy Tidbits was a lot of fun this week. Oh, we dropped a Trashtrology we with Aries. S- we said happy birthday to all you Aries babies out there. No, we're number one. <laughs> happy birthday, Aries babies. Oh, we also did a oh, fun yeah. little romp through the field of possible lovers of Frank Sinatra. Basically, it was everyone on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> we have a magic mirror that I'm pulling out. 
We have some big thanks this week to new patrons who have joined us. We do. I will kick us off with huge thank yous to Amanda N., Blair G., Annie R., Marks M., Christine H., Emma P., Paige, Darcy V., Alex, and Talia S., Stacy H., Michelle H., Lauren J., Renee W., Samantha W., Allison D., Nicole G., Zach W., Farah F., Lacey S., and Shannon S. Thank you, everybody, for joining us over there on Patreon. A gigantic thanks. We hope you are having fun dipping your paws into all the trash candy over there. We have a couple new super supporters. Oh, um, we do. We do. Christy P. and Rihanna J. Thank you both so much. Gift packs are on the way to you along with our other March super supporters once we're out of isolation. I have them wrapped and ready to go, but I have to go in the post office and we are still... It's really tricky. ...in a little bit of lockdown. Everything that comes to our home... Because, you know, we're still Amazon junkies, like, get sprayed down with a bleach water mixture before we open it. Like, it, hey, it's weird times, folks. It's weird times. You know what they can't take away from us, Stacey? What's that? Season five of Trashy Divorces. <laughs> Thick in the bleach water. No. <laughs> Not with the way you make it, babe. This is the last week of season five. Yep. Let's make it a great one. We're going to be back with a brand new season. April 5th. Sunday, April 5th. And I actually did check, did you the, check calendar? the calendar. I was yep. like, do I need to check the calendar? To validate that date. But we'll have more. St- like, don't worry. We have more material coming for you. Don't worry. We're you... not abandoning you. No, never. And their time of trash candy need and trash never. candy quarantine. Never. Never. We got y'all's trash pandas. You're our favorites. Yeah. You ready to kick this one off? Let's go, go, go. And hey, thanks, everyone. Thank really. you, everyone. You really are the best community that exists in the entire world, and we love you. Okay, now, go, go, go. Go, go, go. (laughs) Oh, Stacey, it's always exciting at the end of the season when it is host choice. Host choice. You're pulling one out of the Trashy Divorces vault today. I am, uh, but even this one has a tiny spider web shooting into oh the universe of rat packiness. You're speaking my language, lady. Although it's going to take us a while to get to it, because I have the story of Anna Nicole Smith. Sorry, that's for all the applause. I just needed to pause there. I don't know as much about for all of this the applause story. I'm excited. I just assume that everyone wants to hear this one. It's pretty trashy. I mean, it has. Tell on. Tell on, sister. Tell on. Oh, the 1990s. Oh, God. (laughs) They gave us reality TV, and they quickly stocked our culture with people who were famous for reasons that don't necessarily make any sense. One of those people was a young woman we came to know as Anna Nicole Smith. Her short life was marked by a deep ambition to be somebody, and while the Hollywood success she craved never quite panned out... She did indeed turn herself into an enduring household name. For sure. For sure. She was born Vicki Lynn Hogan on November 28, 1967. She is a Sagittarius. Her parents, unfortunately, were divorced less than two years later. And it seems like her family life was pretty chaotic as a child. So mom remarries in 1971 when 
Vicky Lynn was four. This guy was Donald Hart, and so after this, she goes by Nikki Hart. There are a lot of jokes I could throw in here, but I really, I don't feel like they're actually appropriate because I just feel like she probably had a garbage childhood, and we'll get into that a little bit. At the start of high school, because why not, 14-year-old, her parents ship her off to an aunt's house in Mexia, Texas, Oh. and Nikki proceeds to fail her freshman year and then drop out. Oh, no. For good. Goes to work at a fried I can chicken only joint. Imagine what kind of trauma happened to oh, this kid. That's mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. She goes to work at a fried chicken joint. She falls in love with the cook there, Billy. Of she does. Billy Wayne Smith. Oh, and by Billy go- Wayne. Billy Wayne. Okay. And by God, are they married in his mama's living room when oh, she is seventeen oh, and he oh. is sixteen? It was nineteen eighty-five, and their son Daniel Wayne Smith was born nine months later. Bless her heart. So, like her own family, she and Billy Wayne are done in a couple of years. Yikes. They don't divorce until 1993, but yeah, they don't, they're not together by the end of the 80s. So, yeah, let's pause to point at some gigantic red flags that are flying here, not about Billy Wayne, but about Anna Nicole's childhood. So, after her death in 2007, Journalist Joyce Wagner shared details from a bunch of unpublished interviews that she did with Anna Nicole Smith in the 90s. And it's pretty grim. Um, Like, Anna recounted running away when she was in seventh grade to get away from her mom, who Mm. had been a cop. She was a strict disciplinarian. And when Anna did come home, her mom beat her. Yay. And, I mean, she just recounted an instance where, like, mom beat her with a nightstick. Yeah, it makes Um, you not want to come home. Yeah, and Wagner also says that Anna disclosed sexual abuse, Mm. although I don't think that that material was shown to media outlets. Like, there was a round of interviews following Anna Nicole Smith's death with this woman. However, dropping out of high school after your freshman year and being married by the time... Like, there's a lot of... This child was turned into a grown-up and a sexual object really young sort of stuff happening here and i think it's important to kind of retain that recognize that that. yeah Yeah. like i I just i don't want to downplay it i think at the time and i think i was one of these people too it like people felt really justified laughing at her but it i don't her story is way more tragic than that so basically as we have said about many of the people we've profiled on this show Anna Nicole Smith was not set up for success in life, right? So it was the late 1980s, and a very young Anna Nicole had been waiting tables at chain restaurants in Houston. Like you do. After she left Billy Mm -hmm. Wayne. And uh, their son- Taking- Where's the kid? Her mom. Okay. I've seen the situation described as abandoned by Anna Nicole Smith. So, yeah. Again, not set up for success. So she realizes that she could make a lot more money for a lot less effort stripping. Sure you can. And so she took a job at a Houston strip club called Gigi's. This is where she came across an advert for Playboy, which was looking for models, always looking for models. Always. Mm-hmm. So she eagerly sent off her little packet of photos. Info. and uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Favorite color. I don't even know what the what they asked centerfolds. Um, Hobby doing puzzles. Love puzzles. 
<laughs> Knitting my own toilet paper. <laughs> Playing with my cat. <laughs> Never leaving home. Okay. So this it would take months to hear back from Playboy, but that was okay because 23-year-old Anna Nicole Smith had some other things going on in like her what? life. Well, I'm happy you asked. I did ask. In October 1991, while she was performing at the strip club, a spry 86-year-old oil man billionaire named J. Howard Marshall, whom we shall call J-Ho. J-Ho, I like it. Is literally wheeled into the strip club <gasps> in his wheelchair. How by spry is he? His driver. I guess accounts differ. <laughs> How old is he? How old? He's 86. Wow. He is 86 years old. In a wheelchair. Getting, getting, getting wheeled in. into the Hey Barney Stinson. Like his driver basically pulls up the limousine to, <sighs> to Gigi's, unpacks the wheelchair, helps J-Ho into the wheelchair. I'm sure J-Ho this just wanted to vivid picture. hit that tasty buffet that I heard about on no, How I, I heard Met Your Mother. heard about buffet at Gigi's. So anyway. Buffets at strip clubs are always delicious. We know this. So J-Ho wheels on up to the stage. Okay. Where Anna Nicole Smith, who I think at that point was still going by Nikki Hart, is uh, performing. Is, is performing. Okay. Is, is revealing more and more of her nature attributes the um the song playing was do you remember oh, no. lady in red lady in, I, yeah anyway that was i it's oh god it's all coming back to me now okay <clears throat> i was a freshman in college it's like in two in the afternoon here just like two in the afternoon this guy just came in from blinding sunlight into what I assume. Lady in red. I'm assuming she's in a red outfit. God knows. Uh, then. Oh, no. Having become really entranced. Of course. Um, the <laughs> nice word choice. 86-year-old billionaire purchases a lap dance. And like, look, if I picked up a novel and this was the scene playing out before me, I would not believe it. I would just be like, okay, that's this just. not happening. That's not the guy's 86. He's a billionaire. He goes to Gigi's. No, doesn't he board a plane to Abu Dhabi and like actually like involve himself in some sort of trafficking ring? Like, no, because there's four o'clock at Piccadilly. He's got to the, get to the senior dinner. That's you a, can't get too far off. That's a good point. Okay, but <laughs> it does seem like this is the actually true story of how J-Ho and Anna Nicole Smith met. J-Ho invites her to lunch the next day. But keep in mind, she has an afternoon shift to work, so they're a little pressed for time, but she does go. Oh, well, that's nice. So as they as they wrap up lunch, which was, I read, hotel room service. Oh, oh, oh. Speculate as you will on that. Um, you know, she was like, hey, J-Ho, got to get back to work. Got to head back to the club. And uh, dude bro pulls out an envelope with a thousand bucks and says, don't go to work, my lady love. <laughs> you don't ever have to go back to work. I'm guessing. I don't know what he sounds like. He's 86. <laughs> it's got to hit between your Hulk Hogan voice and some <laughs> other voice, and I'm trying to place it, but I'm not sure which one. 
I don't think there's enough Texas twang in it. Little lady. <laughs> lady love. Okay. So so that got going. The 23-year-old and the 86-year-old like so to do. So did she not go to work? I actually don't know. Okay. Um, That's the investigative reporter you are. Yes, I know, right? Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So that, that gets underway. She does, I think. Go back to work in the broader sense. Maybe she called out that day. I don't know. Sure. I don't know. But Playboy gets back to her a few months later. So she appears on the cover of the March 1992 issue. And at that point, she was going by Vicki Smith. When I said in the intro that she really wanted to be somebody, it, I I feel like the fact that it took her a while to settle on what her professional name would be, I think that actually is... Part of her a part of the story, herself. yeah, okay. yeah. Like, I think something happened to her in childhood that just erased whoever she started out as. I mean, victims of trauma do yeah. often just forget entire. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so she's Vicky Smith in March of '92. She was Playboy Playmate of the Month in May of '92, and then um, finally. She is named 1993 Playmate of the Year. Whoa, that's a big as deal. As Anna Nicole Smith. Oh, fantastic. Mm-hmm. So this is when that journey is completed. She parlayed these successes into modeling contracts and replaced Claudia Schiffer as the guest jeans. Oh, she was hot in the, yeah, mm-hmm. that was a big, like, that Oh, that was huge. a huge, yeah. She landed an H&M contract, so then she was just like, giant pictures of Anna Nicole Smith were plastered on billboards all over Europe. She was the cover girl for German Marie Claire. Young Anna Nicole is doing all right, but let's not gloss over just how unexpected the story of J-Ho, James Howard Marshall II, is. J-Ho was born on January 24th, 1905. He's an Aquarius. (laughs) Okay. In the Philly area. He went to Quaker Schools University, and he was like, he was that guy. He was... He was the head of the debate team, and he was a star soccer player, and he was a competitive tennis player, and he was the editor of the student newspaper, and like... I mean, everyone old was young, but it's hard to sometimes, if you only know people from an older stage in life, to imagine them young. Yeah, he was basically a boy Paris Geller as a kid. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, so... You know, brainy, athletic, and I think there is a lot of reason to think that this guy was also very charismatic and charming because oh. after he graduated from Haverford College in 1926, oh my, he went to Yale Law, eh. got his JD in Yaley. 19... He was a Yaley, got his JD in 1931. He became an assistant dean at the school, and then he taught courses on Holy crap. business, finance, and... Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Like, rocket ship career here. So, aside from teaching, he was also producing legal scholarship on... (laughs) Naturally. What else do you do in your free time? Yeah, but, like, stuff like (laughs) bankruptcy. But what really caught for him was that he was doing legal analysis of the regulatory framework of the petroleum market during the Great Depression, just ahead of World War II. Interesting. He went to work for the government for a little while during the Depression, and he authored the legislation that stabilized oil prices, and there had, I guess, been a boom and bust cycle with petroleum for decades. His legislation stopped that. Seriously? So I think he was sort of a hero. I mean, this would be like an early revolving door 
sort of thing between like business and government. He gets scooped up by Standard Oil in 1935, ends up working. He's special counsel to the president of the company, and he became a partner in the firm that was Standard Oil's outside counsel. What? Suddenly, like, I think he was born into very comfortable circumstances, but he is expanding that comfort. Way more comfortable. Mm -hmm. You have an escape mansion, not just an escape tiny house. Yeah, yeah. So J-Ho gets called back to Washington for World War II where he is like the lawyer to the Petroleum Administration for War, which you can imagine is a pretty big fucking deal. So needless to say, by the end of the war, he is just a world-renowned expert on like oil, on markets, on regulation, on pricing, on distribution, on like every aspect of it. And his connections in the industry are limitless. So he gets named vice chairman and president of Ashland Oil, which will eventually be purchased by the Coke Industries people. Oh, my Lord. Mm -hmm. Eventually, he is a 16% owner of Coke Industries. Holy This is basically how this guy becomes a billionaire. He studied oil. He legislated oil. He regulated oil. He bathed in oil. And then he he went to work in oil. Yeah. Then he went to work in oil, and oil made sure he was- I had no idea. Yeah. When his two sons, so he he was married in total three times. So his first marriage went to the 60s, from 30 to 60, something like that. Oh, long time then. Mm-hmm. So when his, uh, when his sons from his first marriage came of age, he gifted each of them a 4% stake in Coke Industries. Oh, well, that's nice. And this is, a, this is a plot point that will matter oh, okay. a lot. Post-it note this. Okay. So Coke Industries was founded by Fred. I don't know why it's always Fred starting these companies, but whatever. Fred Coke dies, and a few years later, his four sons get into a power struggle over the future of the company. Okay. We're familiar with Charles and David Coke, who okay. run Coke Industries today. C&D. C&D. Okay. There were two other brothers, though. Oh. And so in this power struggle, J-Ho and his younger son back... Charles and David Koch. And oh. obviously they win. Okay. This power struggle. But Jeho has an older son, James Howard Marshall III, who we'll call Trey. <laughs> Perfect. So Jeho and his son Pierce back the winners. Okay. And get all the money. Ah. And Trey backs the losers and gets written out of the will. Oh. That is what happened. Nasty. Mm-hmm. Also, his dad decided he needed that stock back, but he did buy it back from him. So. Oh, well, that's swell. Mm-hmm. But the disinheritance will become a big deal in the future. In the future. So let's just put a pin Yikes. in Trey not being in the will anymore. Trey's mad. Trey may still be mad because Trey's still alive, unlike basically everyone else in the story. Wow. Okay. All right. What happened? Uh, one other fun fact about J-Ho. So, again, married a total of three times, but he apparently had a 10-year-long relationship with a Houston socialite named Jewel Diane Lady Walker. Lady's a nickname. Okay. Jewel Diane Walker, known as Lady to her friends. Lady. She was apparently the talk of the town in the 80s, maybe in the 70s, I don't know, but like definitely in the 80s. She liked to paint her nails gold. Okay. With real Ma- gold. Uh, oh. 
I don't quite know how that works. I just made a periodic table joke. I just went, oh. Uh, 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 she had a real f- gold, seriously? Yeah. Wow. She had a fleet of Rolls Royces in different colors, and she uh. would coordinate her outfits each day with the car that she was going to drive. Oh, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Texas women are their there own are, special sort. Yeah, there is. Real there's, gold. There's being well off, and then there's. Just Austin. Then there's that. Wow. Um. Well, ah, <laughs> Jewel Diane Lady Walker uh, died at the age of forty-eight in nineteen ninety-two during cosmetic surgery. <gasps> About to say forty-eight. That's not very old. It's not very old. It's not very old. You know what Jeho, her boyfriend of ten years, did then? Oh no! What he sued to try to recoup some of the gifts he'd given her over the years. He sued her estate. You're kidding. I'm not kidding. He sued her estate to get some- J-Ho. Who is a billionaire. That's just embarrassing, J-Ho. Sued. I need that purple Rolls Royce back. See, the voice changed. I can't even make it work through a I'm going to need that bottle of nail polish back. So, <laughs> I think that's a bit of who J-Ho is. After he meets Anna Nicole and begins what would become a two-year-long courtship, he starts suggesting marriage. Okay, well, that's a long time to date. She's not divorced yet. Oh, shit. Right. (laughs) She left Billy Wayne, but, I mean, they didn't, you know, they didn't divorce. So. Oh, my. That's okay. His second wife died in 1991 which means that he was with jewel diane jewel lady Lady walker for like the last most of a decade of that there is a lot of trash going on here (sighs) okay so anna nicole (laughs) turns him down for a long time for the marriage proposal for the marriage proposal i'm not still married yeah you know you're it's complicated. You're 86 and growing, and I'm 24. I'm 24 and I'm playmate of the year. It's complicated. <laughs> um, but in February, did I, did I, the reason the Facebook status was invented in the first place. True story. <laughs> February 1993. Uh, she and Billy Wayne walk down the aisle at divorce court. I don't know, whatever that is. <laughs> However, we need to come up with a term for that. Anyway, they they split. And as far as I can tell, Billy Wayne has not tried to be a public figure. So, like, good for him because there's nothing not messy about everything to come. And okay. he's apparently not part of the mess at all. So, underground. Just a guy in Texas. Fair enough. Named Billy Wayne. Good on you, Billy Wayne. Yeah, we, we appreciate that. So, on June 27, 1994, 26 year old Anna Nicole Smith walks down the aisle. Beside her 89-year-old wheelchair-bound fiancé, there were 11 guests. After the reception, Anna Nicole leaned down to her new husband, kissed him sweetly, and said, Bye, darling. I'm off to Greece. Excuse me? Where she had a photo shoot planned. And one report about this that I saw said that he cried. He doesn't know that she's about to go to Greece? I don't. I don't this know is... what. Okay. He wasn't planning to go to Greece with her. He was not invited. Like, I don't know. Um, That's a little sad. It's, a, it's yeah. Yeah. By this point, 
Anna Nicole had already been hospitalized once after a, air quoting here, bad reaction, um, uh. mixing booze and pills. Ooh. And I'm not quite clear if bad reaction and overdose are synonyms in this situation. I Like, I don't know. Because sometimes I think that people who are sort of in the midst of an addiction may use a term like bad reaction because that's sure better than overdose. Right. Not sure. She was also sued by a former housekeeper who alleged that Anna Nicole Smith had sexually assaulted her during a business trip. What? And the housekeeper will go on to win this lawsuit. (gasps) Okay. With the marriage to J-Ho... She is also now the poster girl for that most glorious of terms, the gold digger, right? Yeah. Like that was, that's what I remember most about I this whole I'm a gold, yeah, really, debacle. I didn't know all this. Mm-mm. And it, it's notable that very few pointed a finger at J-Ho to ask why he felt like it was okay to purchase a 20-something human being for his own enjoyment. But oh yeah, but she's a gold digger, yeah, right? Yeah, she's certainly the one in the wrong. Yeah. So it seems like there was Yikes. quite a bit of mutuality to the awfulness in this relationship. Use each other appropriately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She would note that J-Ho cared for her and never looked down on her, which, I mean. Probably means a lot. A lot. Yeah. Like a broken yeah. childhood. And then dropping out of high school at before your sophomore year. Like, yeah. I'm sure to have this like super rich old man, like be nice and and not treat you like i don't know like i know there was a uh, new york magazine or something did a piece on i don't know like the white trash revolution or something and they used a she sued over their use of her photo oh really yeah so lots of again um complicated her life was her life was difficult and tragic and <clears throat> people did not say nice things about her while she was alive so successful model and newlywed to a billionaire Anna Nicole Smith would really like to make some stuff happen in Hollywood, but that never really comes together in spite of some generally favorable reviews for smaller parts she had. She was in the Hudsucker Proxy and in Naked Gun 33 and a Third, I think was the name of it. But she kind of puts the pedal to the metal in 95 and gets the, the lead in a film that just crashed and burned. This movie called To the Limit, it, it really spelled the end. I don't think she knew at the time, but but it did spell the end of her dream sure. of Hollywood stardom. She will act more, and obviously there's the, she did a series on E! or whatever. Like Right, I do remember that. Yeah. I think part of the problem is, I mean, like, again, I, I don't say this to cast aspersions, but it seems like she had a really big problem with substances, and I think that made it very hard for her to work. In a long-term way, like a photo shoot is one thing. If you need her for a day or two, exactly, she can make that happen. If you put any strings on it, she will violate the strings. Like Interesting. She got scheduled to be a model for something or another with the, with the agreement that she would not be in the tabloids in England, like the modeling something in England. So, of course, she calls up the sun and goes and sits down with them. <laughs> like, oh, no. Like, shot herself in the foot. She right. just self-sabotaged. That happens. Yeah. So then on August 4th, 1995, you know, and again, this movie has, I don't know if it's come out yet or if it is about to come out, but anyway, the movie is doomed. And on August 4th, uh, after 13 months of marriage, J-Ho, at the age of 90, dies. Aw, J-Ho. A few things first. 
Jeho did not update his will after oh. he got married. <gasps> what? So Anna Nicole Smith was not in it, and ne- neither was Trey, for that matter. She loudly claimed that her late husband had promised her half of his estate, or what would have been about eight hundred million of his one point six billion. Whoa! But without anything written down, that's a lot of smack or don't. Yeah, and so like Trey also had does did not appear in the will. So Anna Nicole calls up her like sixty some odd year old stepson. And is like, hey, hey, buddy. Hey, man. Hey, friend. I feel like we have a similar problem right now. Oh. So they join forces and they sue to try to claw a bunch of money out of dead old dad's estate. So Jeho's other son, Pierce, who was in the will, was having none of it. And this is so weird. So Pierce and then his estate would continue to battle legal action from Anna Nicole Smith and then her estate. No. Until at least 2017. You are joking. I'm not. And it's also like it's it's really possible that there are still like tendrils of this litigation. I mean, by the end of all of this, her daughter, who is not born yet for like a decade from this point, is is embroiled in this litigation, too. You have one point six billion dollars. And you can't make like five Work people happy. Out. Yeah. Work it out. That's what. That's what's so heartbreaking about this. Like, this guy really could have made all of you his... You were going to spend in legal cost over the course of, what, 20 fucking years? At least. What you would have spent saying, great, here's $100 million. are you done? Sign legal stuff, you can't come after us anymore, and just be done with it. That would have been the right thing to do. Oh, but, God. But that is not what J-Ho did. This is heartbreaking. It is. In 96, Anna Nicole is forced to file bankruptcy in California because of that nanny lawsuit. Oh. The nanny had been awarded $850,000. Holy cats. So it's weird. So since there were these pending claims against Jeho's estate, the bankruptcy court is like, well, actually, you're probably entitled to, I don't know, half a billion? Will that make you happy? Will that keep you comfortable? Half a billion dollars? Oh. Just based on the rise in Coke Industries stock value during the 13 months of their marriage it was worth half a billion dollars with a 16% stake or whatever it was. Whoa. Meanwhile, in Texas, Pierce, the younger son, was fighting the probate matters to ensure that she got nothing. And there, a Houston judge ordered Anna Nicole to pay Pierce a million bucks to cover his court costs uh-uh. for her frivolous filings. Nope. And so, since you have courts in two states... I was about to say, you'd never file it in Texas. In You're conflict. not going to get... Yep. So, it goes to federal. This thing has been to the Supreme Court twice. You are joking. I'm not joking. So, the first time was in September of 2005. And apparently, the George W. Bush administration decided that there was... Some good reason to expand federal entry into probate matters. Like, ordinarily, that's handled by states, and that's well, not like a federal... like, the Bushes are from Texas. Were they friends with the Marshalls? Well, no, but they jump into this on Anna Nicole Smith's side. Oh. To expand federal reach into probate matters. Interesting. So they send... No shit. Like, they send the Solicitor General over to... Were they enemies? To... <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> they, yeah, they send the, the Solicitor General over to, like, Speak to the Supreme Court on Anna Nicole Smith's behalf. Anyway, uh, 
My mouth <clears throat> is on the bottom of the podcasting table. I had no idea. Okay, so the ruling in this case, which was Marshall versus Marshall, and which came out in favor of Anna Nicole Smith, uh, was written by Ruth Bader Ginsburg herself. Holy cats! And the Supreme Court did not award Anna Nicole Smith any money, but they basically greenlit her continued legal claims Pursuant. in lower courts, uh, right, okay. rather than shutting it down. So, yeah, just what a this weird... bonkers. Yeah. So then June 06, we're jumping ahead a bit. That, that court case was in 05. June 06, Anna Nicole announces that she is pregnant. And her daughter, Danny Lynn, was born on September 7th, 2006. Hooray. Wonderful. Great news. Virgo baby. Virgo baby. There you go. Okay. Well, because nothing, nothing mm. in Anna Nicole Smith's life could be unadulterated joy. Oh, no. Her son Daniel, then about 20, died of a drug overdose three days later oh, God, that's right. while visiting her this. in a hospital. Ugh. He had apparently mixed methadone, which may have been mom's, Zoloft, and Lexapro. Oh, and my. yeah, died, died in her arms. There's that. So just tragedy. Uh, in regard to Danny Lynn, a series of men jumped forward to claim paternity, an endeavor whose importance grew after Anna Nicole Smith herself died of an overdose on February 8th of 2007. So sad. 39 years old. Wow. Mm-hmm. Boy, the Danny, Danny Lynn thing. There was a story going around that Anna Nicole had frozen some of Jeho's sperm and that the baby was definitely a marshal. Oh, my. That was not true. The birth certificate listed the dad as Anna Nicole Smith's lawyer, Howard K. Stern. And thank God that there is someone in the story named Howard Stern, although it's not that Howard Stern. I, this is unreal. Others in contention for the title. Frank Sinatra. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Frank Sinatra. Uh, <laughs> entertainment photographer Larry Burkhead who claimed to have had an affair with her. There was uh, Zsa Zsa Gabor's yeah, husband. Prince. Yeah, Frederick Prinz von Anhalt. Is that his name? Yeah. Who said that he had been seeing Anna Nicole for 10 years and the baby was probably his. Of course it mm. was. There was a bodyguard, former bodyguard for her, named Alexander Denk. He stepped up and was like, oh, I looked at my calendar. I'm actually making all of this up. <laughs> <laughs> but that totally could be my baby. Uh. It wasn't. It was not his kid. No idea if they ever even had a thing. It's Larry Burkhalter's, right? It is. Okay. Larry Burkhead? Hope I got that right. That's how I wrote it down. It probably is Larry Burkhead. Okay. Well, anyway, DNA showed that, yeah, the photographer. It's Larry's kid. Yeah. Larry. Yeah. Okay. It's Larry's kid. <laughs> yes, that Larry is Danny Lynn's father, and he's raised her ever since. She's been a child model and actress kind of her whole life. And she also inherited all of her mother's $700,000 fortune. Okay. But again... Still in probate. Got t Well, no, she she got that, but there are all these legal tendrils still working through from J-Ho's death. Unbelievable. So apparently at some point, Larry decided that Pierce's estate had... Pierce is dead. Pierce has been dead since before Anna Nicole Smith, since before Danny Lynn was born. But Larry decided that Pierce's legal team had had done bad stuff in court and asked a federal judge to give Danny Lynn $44 million from Pierce's estate. And the judge was like, what? Why? What? So that was a no. Yeah. And again, Pierce Marshall has been dead since before Danny Lynn was born. Unreal. The fact that, woo. All right. So 
we like to joke a lot about the the Reddit am I an asshole AITA, right? We do. Okay. So in this one, I think we would have to use the ESH acronym. Everyone sucks here. Uh, for real. Yeah. Like Anna Nicole Smith clearly suffered through a childhood that left her ill-equipped to live alongside her very large ambitions. Her second husband did create the impression that he, that she would be well cared for, but he never actually called any of what I assume are his very many lawyers right. to update his will. He certainly never managed to smooth things over with his sons in any healthy way and just left the brothers fighting in court until literally one of them dropped dead. Uh, as noted, though, Trey is still alive at the age of 84. And finally, there are Anna Nicole's children, one of whom is deceased and one the subject of additional legal battles kind of designed around like which man would get his hands on a lot of money, right? Like... So I don't have a number of trash cans to assign here. I submit that for the highly tragic story of Anna Nicole Smith, we instead imagine a factory just like churning out trash cans. Do, 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 do. And then suddenly a volcano beneath it erupts, sending all of it into a flaming spectacle in the sky. It's just a terrible story. That's a terrible story. I remember like being really weirdly sad when she died. Like I just... I think it always kind of felt like this is a person who got robbed of something vital when she was very, very young, and it, it still feels that way. Well, that is a tragic, trashy divorces tale. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take a quick break, come back with uh, another trashy divorce to end the season. Let's cue some music. Do it. Hi, I'm Chris Gethard, and I'm very excited to tell you about Beautiful Anonymous, a podcast where I talk to random people on the phone. I tweet out a phone number, thousands of people try to call, I talk to one of them, they stay anonymous, I can't hang up, that's all the rules. I never know what's going to happen. We get serious ones. I've talked with meth dealers on their way to prison. I've talked to people who survive mass shootings. Crazy funny ones. I talk to a guy with a goose laugh, somebody who dresses up as a pirate on the weekends. I never know what's going to happen. It's a great show. Subscribe today, Beautiful Anonymous. Hi, I'm Chris Gethard, and I'm very excited to tell you about Beautiful Anonymous, a podcast where I talk to random people on the phone. I tweet out a phone number, thousands of people try to call, I talk to one of them, they stay anonymous, I can't hang up, that's all the rules. I never know what's going to happen. We get serious ones. I've talked with meth dealers on their way to prison. I've talked to people who survived mass shootings. Crazy funny ones. I talk to a guy with a goose laugh, somebody who dresses up as a pirate on the weekends. I never know what's going to happen. It's a great show. Subscribe today, Beautiful Anonymous. So, Alicia, you have a really happy story for us this week, right? I mean, there's there's a story with these two. So this is host choice, and it, yes. I've wanted to do this for a while. They were married twice. Oh, wow. They got married, divorced, and married again. And if it wasn't for the tragic death part, this would be a love story for the ages. <laughs> uh, there are so many repetitions in our trashy divorces world that will come to manifest in this story Today, I am bringing you the love affair and trashy divorce of Natalie Wood and Robert Wagner. So if you Google Natalie Wood, you're going to be overwhelmed with stories and conjecture and theories about her death at the age of 43 in 1981. Yeah. Somehow I thought it was way earlier than that, too. Okay, so 1981. Mm -hmm. 
Death has uh, made her a legend, but I dare say that she was born a legend. And then she got married twice to Robert Wagner, which is honestly the story almost as legendary. So on Patreon, I will get into the details of that tragic night in November 1981 and the swirl surrounding the circumstances of her death. But this is not a true crime podcast. This is a true divorce podcast. And that's the story I'm going to focus on today. Okay. You ready to get into it? I'm not not ready to get. Yes. <laughs> Let's get into it. Natalia is born July 10th, 1938. She is a cancer girl. Okay. Cardinal sign. Determined. She is the child of Russian immigrants. Dad is very old world. Mom is sort of under an umbrella of her own delusions that she was or should have been a star. There's lots of imago coming up. Friends. Is this one of those things where like they got forced out of the old country and so then there was just a lifetime of like, well, if we hadn't been made to leave. No, mom thinks she's a star. Mom oh. will talk about all the times that she was a star. Oh. But mom was never a star. Gotcha. Okay. Mom. So it's a different thing than that. Different thing. Okay. Natalia or Natasha, as she is known in her home, has an older sister and a younger sister. The family will move to California like apparently every other family Moves to California in the early 20th century. Natalia's mom. Lots of room and orange trees. and (laughs) Natalia's mom, or Mud, as they will call her, has dreams for the family. Natasha especially. So when Natasha is four, there is a movie filming near them in Santa Rosa. And Mud gets Natasha all gussied up and just keeps throwing her kid in front of the director who eventually is like, I need a kid for a part. Uh, Hey, kid, can you cross the street with an ice cream cone and drop it and cry? And Mud is like, of course my child can do this. Natalie can't read, right? Like, there's a... uh, uh. So the director sees her and is like, whoa, I've never seen ice cream carried like that before in the... And the tears. I'm just kidding. I don't know what the director said, but... I like when we make up dialogue. (laughs) He does say that... Natasha is a tremendous talent, and I'm going to send for her one day. No one has ever crossed the street with such glamour. He does send for her when she's six. So Mud and Natasha get on the bus, I guess, to go down to L.A. They have a meeting with the head of Universal Studios, William Getz. Old World Dad has no idea that Mom and Kid have taken a bus to go to Universal Studios. It's totally oh, a secret. I bet that goes very well at home. So there's a lot of stuff that Mud does that Dad doesn't have sure. any idea about. There's some definite childhood mm. trauma. But Natasha, she's a beautiful kid. She's charming AF. And of course she signed, but she needs a different name. And she's six. So Natalia, Natasha, Natalie, totally makes sense. And The last name of Wood is chosen in honor of Sam Wood, and a star is born. Her first movie... Because she likes trees. (laughs) Her first movie, Natalie, stars with Orson Welles. My God. Like, not a shabby co-star, right? And this begins Natalie's life in the business. So from six, she grows up on sets. She's living her mom's dream. And the more dramatic things are for mom, the happier mom is. She's... 
a stage mom who really gets off on the drama. You have a lot of momager stories. I really do. Mom is going to savor, and I think that is the correct word choice here, the control she has over Natalie. So if Natalie needs to cry in a scene, mom will take Natalie behind the scenes and take like a butterfly out of a jar and rip the wings off of it so her kid will cry. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Like cruel measures. But Mud is making a star and she's manifesting all of her dreams. There's so much wrong with this picture. Natalie is going to have some adult problems. Really? (laughs) But Natalie's career is on. And that butterflies will avoid her for the rest of her life? It's... It is a tragic story. Eco-terrorist of a mom. Natalie will uh, uh, be in Miracle on 34th Street when she is nine. This is the film that really makes her a star. Old world dad, still threatened. So if the imago of mom... Did she have to cry in that movie? Isn't enough. She probably did. Did they, like, murder Santa in front of her and... Old world dad Mm. is having a hard time adjusting. I would think. Like Natalie's the family breadwinner. There are no health. There's no healthy imaging happening with either parent here. But something does happen when Natalie is 10 and she is on set with mud and sees a handsome young actor. He's king of the Bobby Soxers. Named uh, Robert Wagner. And a 10-year-old Natalie will see him and tell her mom, that is the guy I'm going to marry. Old Bobby Wag. It's lightning. It's lightning for a 10-year-old Natalie. She knows she's going to grow up and marry him. She will get his picture that day and hang it in her room. So Robert Wagner is her poster on the wall. Yeah. Gosh, lots of... Lots of trashy divorces, repetition. Sure, sure. By the time Natalie's 12, she's made 14 movies. So I want you to think about this. What this does to a kid who is literally the family breadwinner who doesn't know how to be a kid. She's never around kids. She is uncomfortable around kids because she's always around stars. And she doesn't know how she feels or thinks about anything because she has a script. That's in her hand that, that tells, tells her, her. Mm-hmm. what to think and feel about what she does. She has no chance wow. or idea to create her own lines, her own script. And Butterfly Murderer Mom is not, uh, I'm sure, encouraging her to also have other pursuits to grow her no. mind and self. She's a kid who can't go out and play because what if something happens to her and we have to shoot on Tuesday? Like, she is a protected little... Sure. Okay. So she's a kid who doesn't know how to be a kid. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine all of this is going to make it a little hard to relate, not only to others, but to yourself. Like, add to that a resentful father, a domineering stage mother. Okay, so one of the most legendary stories about mom is the lies that she will sling at Natalie. There's this movie called The Green Promise. And there's a scene where Natalie needs to run across a rainy, rushing river on this bridge. And everybody in the whole set knows that the bridge is going to collapse, except for Natalie. Don't ruin the scene. You can't tell her. They want her terror to be real. 
So the bridge falls earlier than it's supposed to. Excellent. And not only is her terror real, like she's in peril of dying. Right. They will finally pull her out of the water. It's just two things. First, she breaks her wrist, which because she has to go back to work the next day, never heals properly. They never get it set. So she'll always wear a bracelet on her wrist because she's super self-conscious about this. Also, even though she already has a fear of dark water, this will make her even more terrified of dark water. I would think. Before Natalie starts high school, she's made 17 movies. Like, more movies than the years she's actually been alive. But, like, teenage years, Awkward Turtle. Like, the studio's doing what it can because it's a struggle of every child actor. How do we convert the child actor into a leading man or a leading lady? How do we keep the career going once that transition happens? This will happen for Natalie in 1955 in a little part. That Natalie, for the first time, instead of just being handed a script really wants and fights for. Previous to this, she's been reading scripts, but whatever, I'm an actor. Like, I do the script I'm given, but she wants this one. And she will star opposite James Dean in 1955's Rebel Without a Cause. Wow. Which in 1955 is a hot, sizzling plot. Yeah. And her parents are like, oh, hell no. You are not going to do anything with this movie. Teenagers rebel in their parents in that movie. Yeah. Have you heard? And you'll ruin your image. Don't even read that script. She will get an audition. She will get the role. She will also get her first Academy Award nomination. She's 17. She will also have an affair with Nicholas Ray, the director of the film, who's like 30 years older. Her dad legit pulls stalker moves. He will go and stake out Nick Ray's house. And wait for her to leave to see what time she's leaving. Wow. I mean, her. I don't know if I blame the dad. You know, like, I mean, she's underage at this point. Like, her parents will check for wrinkles on her skirt when she comes home from dates. So Natalie is almost an adult, whatever that means, in this home of Amago. Mom still wants to control her. Dad eventually is like, whatever, gives up and he will drink more and more natalie will date raymond burr there's a rumored liaison with frank sinatra she'll date elvis too which doesn't go great she finds elvis very old-fashioned and too much of a mama's boy that's pretty much what everyone says about all this they're hounded wherever they go well she wasn't 14 i think is probably the problem with elvis well pajama parties pajama cuddle parties (laughs) okay so I come across this bit by Mark Crowley. Uh, Mark Crowley is the writer of The Boys in the Band, friend of Dominic Dunn. Mark and Natalie are bosom friends. And he says that Natalie told him if she was going to write an autobiography, it would be called I Got What I Wanted. Cancer Girl. Determined. And this is where we're going to leave Natalie on the eve of turning 18, waiting on the trashy divorces depot, having just been voted the most beautiful teenager in the world. Sitting pretty, riding high on her Academy Award nomination in the depot. God, I, I can't tell if I think she would have had a better go in the like MTV era, right? Where there was like actual programming geared toward a young audience where young people, right? Like now there's this whole mechanism for young stars 
separate from what adult stars go through, then there was not. You ready to meet our groom? Bobby Wags? Bobby Wags. He's born February 10th, 1930. He's an Aquarius boy. He is eight years older than his bride. He's from Detroit. That's less of an age difference than I thought. Was oh, really? Gonna, yeah, I okay. thought it was going to be weirder. Uh, it'll get weird. It, yay. <laughs> yay. Welcome uh, to Trashy Divorces. Bobby Wags. His parents are hardworking. Robert like wants to be a star. He will... Like, go to the movies with his dog and walk down the street to get attention. Like, he kind of, he will end up making an unsuccessful screen test, but will end up getting represented by Albert Broccoli. Hmm. Okay, in the early 50s. Like, legit, he's the type. He's the, along with Tab Hunter and all those kind of handsome, chiseled jaw. I really prefer cauliflower's work more than Broccoli's, but, (laughs) I mean... (laughs) But people say I'm kind of a snob, so. Bobby Wags. Bobby Wags. Gets lumped in with the Bobby Soxers. Like, the Bobby Sox generation. He's the early 50s ideal type of, like, handsome young man. And he's handsome, for sure. But he's also a charmer. Like, he's the guy, um, uh, Ruby Rosa. He remembers Hmm. the thing about you. Like, he remembers the one thing about you, and every time he sees you, he talks about how you had that gardenia in your hair that one time. Like, he's handsome, and he's a talker, and he's a charmer. He has a lot of dalliances on and throughout Hollywood. Um, Marilyn Monroe, Elizabeth Taylor. There's a rumored affair with Barbara Stanwyck that he says is much more serious, who is like 30, 20 years, 30 years older than he is. She says was not at all that serious. Anyway, he's working his way up in the system. How you do? Mm -hmm. Did I mention the charm and good looks? So the small parts will lead to bigger parts for him. And by the mid-1950s, he has turned himself into a leading-ish man and wanting to make his stardom dreams come true. He's going to take a little break from his dreams one night of stardom. Or maybe not. Uh, He's going to take the hottest actress in the world out on a date on her 18th birthday. You want to guess who that girl is? Elizabeth Taylor. Natalie Wood. Okay. And a love affair is born. It is instant. It is immediate. They are the it couple. His career is headed up. Hers is on the rise. They are the dream of every... They're... They're it. I will say, like, we've covered a lot of people who things failed because they were at really different points in their career. This is exactly, yep. Or at least that was a big cause of it. But actually, these two seem, although maybe she's way more, yeah, maybe that's not actually where they are at all. She's already won an Academy Award. He would be the reacher. She would be the settler. If we were using How I Met Your Mother. Sure. I think. Yeah, no, I just failed at that. She's been famous forever, and he's... He's Bobby Wags. And he's Bobby Wags. So they will marry December 28th, 1957. Okay. She is 19. He is 27. And she never had a real She has no life. idea how to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminds me of Julia Roberts in um, Runaway Bride. I don't know what kind of eggs I like. 
I've never had to decide anything on my own. Like Natalie doesn't know how to decorate a house or be a newlywed or have an adult. Like, What kind of example does she have? So she is going through this period of like self-discovery for the first time. Like she's a young married. She's never had to do anything without mom stage directing sure. her how to do it. Shredding butterflies at her. Yeah. The- Seriously, very bad. Bobby Wax mm. and uh, Natalie will form a production company called Rona. I'm sorry. It's the first two initials of each one of their names. Okay. Well, that's ideal for, for this week, right? It's ideal for this week. It is not going to work out because the marriage is going to end before they can fulfill all the films they have committed to do. Yet another reason that quarantine babies nine months from now should not be called Rona. That's a good plan. So Natalie... Getting that maybe there's some things that she needs to handle has started some therapy. And uh, Robert, self-admittedly, is not as cool with this at the time. This is him upon retrospect. Like, I resented it and I was selfish about Natalie figuring herself out. I was young. I was afraid of it. I'm like, dude, you're a decade older. Like, I was actually thinking that that might be beneficial for her because he might have a lot more patience with her super beneficial for her he resents the fuck out of it so like they're the it couple and it all goes well enough but there's like a lot of pressure because they're always photographed they're always followed they'll end up taking a tour of the country together in a convertible where they make appearances throughout all these small towns together. I think this happened in the Hunger Games, too. So, (laughs) like, none of it is normal, but it all goes well enough. Seemed weird in the Hunger Games, too. Until, like, 1961. Till District 4. Till three and a half years in District. Okay, so here are the two alternate stories about what rolls down. The first... The struggle between Natalie's career and her marriage was too difficult. Natalie chose her career. So Natalie is making Splendor in the Grass with Warren Beatty, and they're super hot on screen. And Bobby Wags thinks Mm. they're getting hot off screen, too, where one night... And it's Warren Beatty, so that's not actually out of the realm of possibility. Right, One night, Robert is going to uh, take a gun over to Warren Beatty's house to kill him. Whoa. Like, Bobby Wags is consumed with... Hey, Bobby Wags. Yeah, rage and jealousy. They make pills for that. Call me right down. That's one story. Okay. The other story is that one night, Natalie wakes up in bed in June of 1961. There's pretty much a precise day when they were together, and then the next day they weren't together. And she wakes up in bed and Bobby Wags is not there. And she gets up to go find where Bobby Wags is. And she finds he is otherwise indisposed in the home, having a dalliance with the butler. Natalie will take off. She will head to her family's house and she immediately moves out. Like this is a story you hear from her younger sister, Lana. Lana has a lot to say these days about a lot. And there are a lot of narrators in this story all with different levels of reliability. This is what Lana says much later is what triggered the breakup. I'm her sister. She came in in the middle of the night. She was crying. Like, we were there as she was processing through this. 
So in this story, I did watch the lifetime portrait of Natalie Wood, which her family did, her daughters did, Robert Wagner did. I wanted to get the warm and the life and the the good stories about that. Not that Lana doesn't give it to you, but there are a lot of people contributing now to the story that didn't say those things previously. So it's interesting sort of to see how it develops. June of 1961, they're done. Natalie moves out. It will take until 1962 to complete the divorce. But hey, Natalie's a single girl. And the first guy she will date is who? Warren Beatty. (laughs) Bobby Wag should have taken that shot, I guess. I mean, glad he didn't. Right. You know. Once Warren and Natalie actually get together, because she says they were never a thing okay. during the filming of the movie. Okay. Okay. But so, once they so do get together. There was attraction and Bobby Wags probably felt that. Okay. Maybe going with a gun, not as. Maybe. He writes this in his memoir. Like this is, I'm not making anything sure. salacious up. This is him telling. Bad plan. The story. It's not even like he was 21 either. Right. Like he was a grown up. He. Get a hold of yourself, bud. Bobby Wags. Bobby Wags. Chill that tail down. My God. Once Natalie and Warren Beatty do get together, though, it's bad. They are not suit. Okay. Previously mentioned, you know Warren's legendary reputation. <laughs> they move in together, but they're the hot couple. Sure. Like they're again photographed. Like poor Natalie Wood cannot get out of the fray. Right. They don't last a year. Well, I know Warren Beatty hates the spotlight, so. <laughs> now, while this is going on with Natalie and Warren, Robert is going to hightail it over to Europe, and he's going to reconnect with the American actress, a lady named Marion Marshall. They will marry in 1963. They will have a daughter. Natalie, on the other hand, from 1962 to 1969 is a swinging single, celebrating some of her best success west side story gypsy and really has delved into therapy like twice a day eight days a week hardcore to figure herself out kind of imagine now she is having all the time that she needs to do what you typically get to do all through childhood and adolescence that she never got to do so she's gonna have some great times she's gonna have some bad times she will make an attempt at suicide Again, therapy, big, intensive, sometimes twice a day. By 1969, she finds kind of who she thinks is a stable dude. British producer named Richard Gregson. They will marry in 1969. Robert Redford is their best man. That's actually very sweet. Things are rosy. A little pop-up repetition here, though, because there's a reason why you break up. Robert and Natalie have not really seen each other post-divorce. And one night... They're both at a party. This is 1970. Natalie is six months pregnant with her first child, with Richard Gregson. And neither one of them know that either one of them are going to be at this party. Yeah. Natalie says, RJ came in alone. We talked all evening. It was bittersweet. He walked me to the car. It was raining. And he was worried about me driving home to Bel Air by myself. And he said, are you happy? What I didn't realize was he was at the party alone because he and his wife had just separated. Mm. Robert Wagner says, I remember driving around the corner 
I stopped the car and had tears in my eyes. The rain was coming down and I thought, oh, Jesus. Like maybe it was a silent prayer. Who knows? Natalie's happily married. She's six months pregnant. A daughter is born. Natalie is fulfilling this wish of children. And her daughter, Natasha, is like the love of her life. But it's trashy divorces. So it's all going to go south 11 months later. When? Guess what happens? Is the husband having an affair? Yep. Uh. She finds out Richard Gregson is cheating on her. The her <laughs> the lifetime portrait says he was having inappropriate conversations with her secretary. Oh, God. But other sources report that it was a little more significant than <laughs> that. <laughs> just chatting. So, again, just like it was with, like, she's out. Summer of 1971, the divorce will be final in early 1972. Okay. So, during this time, Robert and Natalie are kind of phone buddies. Talking on the phone. RJ... Bobby Wags will ask Natalie to come on out to his house in Palm Springs. And Natalie's friends are like, there's a reason. Have you heard? Don't cut your bangs. Put your, put the brakes on sister. But she goes, there's a podcast you should listen to. January 26th, 1972. And from that day, they've been together ever since. Natalie says we were both in shock. We talked about what had happened to our marriages. He had become a man instead of a boy, but we had to have those years apart. So they were together for the next nine years? Uh Okay, well, that's... Robert and Natalie, right back in love. And they're like, giddy, how lucky are we to have a second chance? Like, lessons learned. Assuming he didn't murder her, that's not a bad story. They remarry. (laughs) July of 1972. Congrats. Yeah, two years later. They're going to have a daughter. They live the happy family life. It's happy and joyous and like to hear her children and him recall it. Like her, she in interviews, like she's ladies home mom and journal. Like everything's coming up. Roses. I love this. Can we find a time machine and give her a life jacket? I. That's yes. I. We need a TARDIS. Uh, mm. Natalie reflects on their second go round. This is a People magazine from 1976. When RJ and I were married the first time, we were like two children acting out a studio script. Yeah. We deliberately hid our weaknesses from each other. Now we found that we could really talk to each other. We're not afraid to be ourselves, but we realized that we needed those years apart to reach that understanding. Again, she'll tell people in 1976 that she's partially retired. Work does not play the same role in my life as it used to, she says. If a woman decides to get married and have children, other parts of her life are just going to have to be put aside. And butterflies everywhere rejoiced. She is definitely not like her mom. Oh, no, I know. I'm just. No, I'm saying like that's she worked that out. Like all Mm -hmm. she wants is a baby and kids and to have children. And one of the things that everybody says and her kids say about her, she listened to how you were feeling. Like, let's talk. It was like living with Mr. Rogers. Let's talk about your feelings. Mm -hmm. Like there was nothing ignored or not acknowledged. I think is a very different childhood than what she has. Yeah. Uh, She actually, you know, she's momming it at home. She and some of her Beverly Hills pals decide to start buying and flipping houses on the side. She finds out she likes to decorate and do that kind of stuff. Even though first time through, she couldn't figure out how to. Yeah, that's great. 
it's growing into our own person. They learn how to believe in themselves mm-hmm. and believe in their relationship and they're growing a family and no, pursuing is, things that are actually not... a really good story. Unfortunately, the couple will celebrate their ninth wedding anniversary, July of 1981. In that same year, Natalie will drown off the coast of Catalina Island at the age of 43 with Many questions surrounding the circumstances of her death. It wasn't questioned for about right, 30 it was, years. It was, except yeah, it for, was ruled accidental or whatever, right? Well, the investigation actually reopens in 2011. The manner of death has been changed from accidental to undetermined. Hmm. And we're going to follow up on that on Patreon. So Robert, Bobby Wags, will raise the kids. Everybody's in terrible grief. When youngest kid is old enough, 1990, Bobby Wags will remarry to an actress named Jill St. John. They're still married, proper family man and all that. He will, write, continue to work. He does a lot of television, heart to heart. I was going to say, she was in heart to heart with him, right? Was that Bobby Wags and Jill St. John? I'm going to Google that right now. Stephanie Powers, I think, was in heart to heart. I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. I loved heart to heart, but I was so young that I'm a little skimpy on memories of it i just remember loving it but yeah our tar was a good show sounds right yeah bobby wags will also uh be featured in the austin power movies remember that Mm -hmm. again handsome and charming will get you pretty far in life so trash cans on this one i'm really going to only deal with the one divorce here like again further investigations have been opened into the mysterious circumstances of natalie's death And murder is a whole new caliber of trash cans that we have not yet accomplished on this podcast. So for the 1961 breakup and 1962 divorce of Natalie and RJ, whatever, either side you take it, it's trashy. Stalking Warren Beatty to kill him with a gun, possible liaisons with the help, solid (laughs) five trash cans on this one. Uh, Natalie will make almost 50 movies in her time gracing the screen. If you need something to do, go watch one of them. She really was a hell of a talent, and I think a bright light that burned out too soon. I think that that's universally believed to be true. That's the trashy divorce of Natalie Wood, Robert Wagner. Hmm. Well. We really wrapped up season five on an uplifting note. Yeah. (laughs) No worries, friends. We're going to be back with you Sunday, April 5th for the sixth can you believe it season of trashy divorces i can't actually believe it it's kind of amazing we've got something special coming up next week right we're we're trying to do our best to we're working it out to give everybody stuff to feel entertained by so if you need more stuff to be entertained by don't forget on patreon.com slash trashy divorces there's a whole slew of free content yeah we're pulling some stuff out of the vault for you yeah watch for the you can type this into your browser or your phone it's um bit.ly slash it's bit.ly slash trash candy quarantine i guess i could have picked a shorter thing but it's you know i wasn't gonna say anything anyway but that'll take you to um material we pull from behind the paywall and we're going to refresh that this week. So if mm-hmm. you've been this week and you're like, oh, I've seen it all. Nope, we're going to put some new material out on Tuesday. Yeah. So watch for that. We're <laughs> with our itty bitty little platform here. We're trying to do what we can. So Oh, 
we're still going to be cranking out new content for Patreon every day next week Mm -hmm. and pulling out some old stuff. We're going to do what we can to We're going to be doing keep you busy. cooking shows before this is all said and done. <laughs> Join us, our Facebook group. I swear we're going to be going live on Facebook at some point. Um, oh, and our our listeners on Facebook have been oh doing gosh, things like a- Cards Against Humanity games. There's been a, a listen-along or something. I think you were watching that last night. I, I didn't. I watched it this morning. I was okay. writing last night. But, but yeah, like I, just somebody live playing an episode and chatting with people about it. Like, it's fantastic. Find us on social. Trashy Divorces everywhere if you want to connect with your Trashy Divorces friends from around the world that you don't know were friends yet. Yep. Until then, we're all in this together. Be kind. Wash your hands. Brighter days are coming. Oh, no, we're not done. <laughs> we're not I've done. I've been drinking out of my awesome, <laughs> awesome cat cup that I forgot to talk about. Lauren F. We have received very cool gifts this week. Sent We've been us the most amazing things. Mm-hmm. They're mugs. They're cool mugs with cool smash the patriarchy. Oh, sorry. Not today, patriarchy. You no, know, the one I have has a, a fussy looking cat with green eyes and a tiara mine, on. Mine matches my cat, though. It's really Well, that's lovely. why that's yours, because it looks like Inman. This one is just sassy, and it's wearing a tiara. Yep. Uh, may you have the confidence of a cat who has zero fucks left to give. <laughs> I'm loving my mug. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lauren. Also, we got the sweetest note this week from Rebecca H., with these awesome Hamilton shot glasses. As soon as we can convince some college students to illegally begin liquor deliveries in Atlanta, we're gonna use, gonna use these. Them. We'll go live with that. For everybody who has reached out to us, thank you so much. We've had so many people say so many nice things. and It's been overwhelming. I know everyone is overwhelmed. For um, as much as you think we're keeping you... Uh, in the laughs and grounded, you are doing the same thing right back for us. We have a lot of essential workers in our midst. We have a lot of healthcare professionals. We have people who are doing the hard work and the amazing work. We have a lot of fans who are hanging at home doing the hard work with their kids and their spouses or struggling through how to deal with being alone yeah. or with it's tough for everybody. Y'all are doing great. We're in it together. Reach out to us. us. Yeah, let us know if we can help more. And until we talk to you again, go forth and be trashy. Or stay in and be trashy. Keep it trashy. Inside the confines of self-isolation. Wash your hands, you filthy animals. (laughs) That's how they close. This podcast will kill you. No, thank you so much for listening. We've really enjoyed this season. It's been fascinating. And uh, we'll be back soon. We can't wait to be back for another one. In the meantime, stay trashy forever. Trash pandas unite. Love y'all. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com 
or find us on the World Wide Web at TrashyDivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at Patreon.com slash TrashyDivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again everybody for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all.